Hey there, I am Barb Higgins, and this is A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumph, and tragedy as I continue to retrace my steps under what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. By doing so, I hope to not only help myself, but to bring purpose and possibility to those who listen. If you are ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, then tie, buckle, face up, or slip on your shoes, and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey, everybody. Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 124 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm recording this on January 3rd, and I've had a pretty rough start to the new year. Nothing major, just lots of chaotic disorganization. I had a lot of expectation at the start of this week that things would be different day to day in my life, and they are no different at all, which is not a surprise to me. But I was talking a couple of weeks back about how I was getting to a point where I just wanted to blow up, like, ah, where I just want to scream and blow up. And I've had times in my life before that I felt this way. And they typically precede a dramatic event. And I don't want to repeat that. I just, I just want to get a handle on what's going on with me. The last two weeks have been, you know, all holiday, Christmas, New Year, you know, no childcare or minimal childcare and lots of family and just high stress time. This time of year is even higher stress because I'm not really where I want to be or nor am I always with who I want to be with. The pressure to try to recreate family holidays is big and it's just a tough time, right? So New Year's, yay, New Year's, January. I can't wait, I can't wait. Count down the days. Put all sorts of huge pressure on yourself to be happy because it's the new year. So January 1 was your classic New Year's Day. Just sit around kind of. It's still sort of holiday mode, even though it's the new year. We started our dieting and our eating right and our exercising and all New Year's Day. January 2nd, I woke up so angry because I got no sleep and I overslept and I was just frustrated. I just had a very frustrating night and I just felt like I didn't feel good. Now I have to go coach and I don't really want to go. And I was just not in a good place at all. The remainder of Tuesday was okay, but not great. Tuesday night culminated with a school board meeting, which was perfect, as Jack would say, in terms of keeping me angry. I got through my school board meeting and I'll talk specifically about those things in a minute. And I came home and I went to bed and I woke up this morning early at five, not feeling great. I'm fighting a cold and still just really angry, just pissy and angry. And the morning just sort of facilitated the continuation of, of me being angry. In my thought process, just around sitting with my coffee in the morning and driving to CrossFit yesterday and contemplating the school board meeting and all of the things that are going on with me, I, I sort of looked up into the, into the sky like, why am I still angry? What? What am I not doing? And all of these little memes and sayings come to mind for me. If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Good 12-step program right there. You think if you keep running into that brick wall, it's finally going to clear for you, you know, Stop running into the wall. Stop trying the same thing over and over again. A comment that Karen Kenny recently had, either in an email or on a Facebook Live or a podcast, I don't remember now. She talked about how the new year comes, we want to fix what we think is broken, but you can't fix something when you're approaching it from the plane in which you feel it broke. You can't get sober in a bar, right? You have to have a new, you have to have a new surrounding so that you can look at your life differently and stick to the habits you're, you're making. So all of these things have been wafting in and out of my head the past few hours. I recorded a podcast on anger this morning and it flows well. I re-listened to it. I'm articulate, but makes sense. But I recorded it in an angry space. I was still really pissed off. 
I had not yet met with Carolina. I had not yet spoken with a friend of mine, Taylor. I was just angry. Kenny got, went out of the house and I'm like, I have to record a podcast episode right now. And I wish I had done a better job because now I'm spending twice as much time on the podcast episode as I should. At any rate, what I did was I started to research anger and I've talked about it a lot. And I cognitively understand over and over again, I get it, why I'm angry. It's, it's one of the five stages of grief through Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. David Kessler did a whole class session in my training with him on anger and grief and how it's the one emotion that we try to quell and squash that anger makes people afraid. It's intimidating. It scares people. There are a lot of reasons that anger continues, and there's a lot of different ways to look at anger. So before my conversation with Taylor and my appointment with Carolina, I was just pissed off and I called myself angry and I was angry. I have three or four specific events that made me angry and I'll share those in a minute. But chronic anger isn't anger. It's more resentment. You just resent the fact that you're suffering. So a few, a few sessions ago with Carolina, she gave me this horrifying example of an experiment that was done with, with dogs. And there was this floor and there were four different colors on the floor, like a grid of four squares. And each square had like electric current under it. So a dog would be, you know, would be walk onto the blue square. And after a few seconds there, he'd get a shock. So that would startle him and he'd go to the orange square. And for a while, the orange square didn't shock him. But once he started to stay away from the blue square, and he was on the orange square all the time, they would put electricity there. So eventually the entire floor of the area would cause a shock. So eventually what happens is the dogs just went off to the corner and laid down and just whimpered because nothing fixed their suffering. So this was used as an example of the double blind, you know, where no matter what you do, the answer is wrong. Anger would be responding to the first shock, getting angry, biting somebody if they were nearby. Suffering is the realization that the pain is chronic and it's not going to stop. And no matter where you go and what you do, it doesn't stop. And so you just become resentful and you suffer. I got to thinking about that after my conversation with Taylor in my, in my appointment with Carolina. So I'm going to talk a little bit about where my anger stemmed. And then I'm going to read some stuff that I looked up online. And then I'm going to talk about what happened in my meeting with Carolina. So my first bout of anger was, was, of course, related to Kenny and his behavior. And I, I get very controlling with that. I want things done when I want them done. I get sick of the mess. You know, I come home. He's had a wonderful morning with Jack, but there are toys everywhere. And he leaves them there. And so now they're everywhere. And I, I get tired of picking them up because I set this example that I'm the one that picks up the toys. And I say, please pick up after yourself. Oh, I know, I know, I really should. And it, he doesn't. So this will never change. So all I can really do is kick the toys to the side, which I often do or pick them up myself, or sit with Jack and play with them and then have him help me pick them up. And now I'm not just the person in the house that picks everything up because that's a pattern that is set in my house and it frustrates me and I get resentful. I resent Gracie and her Dunkin' Donuts cups everywhere and I resent Kenny and, and all of that and what he leaves around. And then I don't resent Jack because he's two, but I resent the fact that eventually he's gonna realize that everyone makes a mess and mommy picks it up. That was my first bit of anger yesterday. Then. Two nights ago, so New Year's night, Jack was up until midnight. New Year's Day, we had, we, it just was a day that didn't go at all the way I wanted it to go. We had to do a social event, which was right in the middle of the day. Jack fell asleep in my lap on the way home. He needed a nap. Everyone just left. Gracie went inside to do her thing. Kenny went inside to do his thing. <laughs> there I am in the car with a sleeping baby. So I come inside and try to get him asleep on the couch. He doesn't fall asleep. 
everyone's happy and putzing around and doing their thing. And, and I, so I said, so I guess all I'm doing today is holding Jack. All right, that's fine. That's what I'll do. So that's me being snarky, but I was pissed. And Gracie's like, I'm sorry, mommy, what did you want to do? And I said, well, I have to do my workouts. I have, you know, I have things I have to do. And so she took Jack and brought him upstairs and he didn't sleep. He never took a nap. So I went and did my workout. I got what I needed to get done, done. But when I came home, here's a wide awake baby at four o'clock. So I do some more things quickly, cleaning up, just more tasks on my list. Jack falls asleep on the couch at five o'clock. So I have 9,000 things to do. He's asleep. So my big hope is that he'll just sleep for 12 hours, sleep until five in the morning. And so I dim the lights. I try to get everyone to stay quiet. I got like two and a half hours of stuff done, but around 7.30, he wakes up. I try to get everyone to be quiet. Let's keep the TV off. He wakes up and he wakes up and he is wide awake now. And it's like nine o'clock. I was in bed at 8.30. I had, you know, the, the lights dim. So I was doing some paperwork, sitting in bed, reading and all this. And so he got in bed with his tablet and I thought, okay, fine. He can look at the tablet. It's calm. He was on the tablet until like one in the morning. He would not fall asleep. I kept falling asleep. He'd kick me, he'd wake me up. He'd want me to fix the tablet. I took the tablet away, he screamed and cried. I was just so frustrated. So Tuesday morning, I wake up late and I have to rush off to coach and I look like hell. And it was just a crappy start to the day. So that made me angry. And of course I funnel my anger outward. Nobody helps me. I'm just the fallback. You know, and this isn't really how I want to feel. I don't want to feel angry that I have to hold my child. I love holding Jack. So I come home Tuesday and, and Tuesday is a bit of a better day. Jack is home. It's not a, it's not a big boy school day. Kenny goes to the doctors. I have some nice Jack time, actually. I just put myself in the mindset. Tuesday night is school board. It's the first meeting of the year and it's annual elections. And I have made it very clear on the school board that it's my 12th year. I've earned the right to be the school board president. I want to do it. And I wasn't nominated and I could have nominated myself, but when everyone else on the school board says what they're interested in being nominated for and they all get nominated and I don't, there's nothing more clear to me than that. Like that is a huge, it's when the silence is deafening. And so I didn't nominate myself. I could have, but I didn't. And, and now, so I'm angry at myself for that. Even if I didn't get elected, I could have put it out there to our public and to the voters that this is what I want. And I think I'm angry about it because it was very deliberate a year ago, actually two years ago, that one of the former board members who's been president has been very controlling of my participation on the board. He puts a smile on his face and he's very judgmental, tells me what to do, tells me what he thinks is best. You know, and, and he had too many years in a row as chairperson of the board. And one of those should have been me. And he just did not want that to happen. And I don't know why. I, it irritates me. I find it frustrating. There's also a very big part of the board now that's all very similar. And an unhealthy board is a board that doesn't represent its constituents. So Concord is a relatively liberal town, but not everyone in Concord is far left liberal. And we have an unbelievably liberal board right now. Part of me is fine with that. Trust me, part of me is fine with it. But we need to represent every child in our district. And we have plenty of conservative parents who are raising their children that way that we need to make sure we represent on the board in how we conduct business and how we act. Another thing that's not so great is a lot of the board members are friends with each other outside the board. Like it's like it's a little friend group, which brings me right back to my first two or three years on the board when all the board members lived in one little neighborhood and they could all walk to board meetings together. They'd have dinner on Friday nights together. It was uncomfortable. And I felt that last year when Gina and David were no longer on the board. It was this whole, it was a whole shift. And that was when I was really cut out of things. 
So it's, it's insulting to me to feel so cut out as a board member when I have more, I have more years on the board than anyone else. So we had our elections. And so we have a president that is in her starting her fourth year on the board. So that's some experience, right? A full term. We have a secretary that is just starting her second year, like not even halfway through her first term. And we have a vice president that has the same amount of time, I think, as the president now. So four years, just starting her fourth year. I have more years than all of them combined. That's nine years of school board experience. And I have 11 starting my 12th. So I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm angry at myself for not sticking up for myself and saying, you know what? I really want to be the board president. On the other hand, that's a huge time commitment. And here I am trying to call things away, put things to the side. So I have more time to do what I want. Ultimately, probably being board president doesn't make a lot of sense. So this morning when I shared this story, I was very, very snarky about it. I will say, I don't feel that we have a healthy board. And if you're a Concord resident who listens to this, you should attend school board meetings and pay attention and stir things up because we have a board right now that is glib and feels very strong that they can do what they want. That doesn't speak well for an autonomous school board. Maybe it's time for a public vote. I think that would be a really good thing for Concord. I woke up this morning angry. I got up at five, went downstairs, you know, had my coffee. I'm watching this show on Netflix, an old one switched at birth. It's, I like it. It's, it just takes my mind off things. I got some things done, but I didn't stretch. I didn't say prayers. I didn't have any sort of start to my day, which would have made such good sense. And I just didn't. Jack came down about 7.15. That was fine. I was ready. Nursed him. We snuggled. Oh, and then Kenny finally came down. So one of our new agreements with our busy schedules and me taking a break from coaching because Kenny's having surgery is that he'll get up at six and, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't think he should. He really doesn't want to. So he strolls down at seven, 7.15, which is better. So I'm okay, you're finally up. And, and he's like, oh, it's, it's early. I'm like, no, Kenny, it's not. So anyway, I just tried to leave it alone. Like, don't take it out on him, whatever. So he disappears. So I go upstairs. I finally have Jack off the boob. I go upstairs because Jack is not ready. He hasn't eaten nothing. And Kenny's about to get in the shower. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. What are you doing? Oh, oh, do you not want me to? I'm like, you have 15 minutes left. And then, and then your shower time is over. Oh, I'll get right in. I'm like, no, Kenny, no, 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 you won't. Because then you have to dry off and then you spend 20 minutes on your feet. Showers for you are a 45 minute ordeal. Did you really think it was okay to take a shower now? And his response was, well, I won't take one if it's going to make you mad. I don't want you mad. And I'm like, if you don't want me mad, get up at six and take a stupid shower when we've agreed how we're going to start our day. So he didn't take the shower. He came downstairs. So at first I'm like, yeah, I only did it because he didn't want me to be mad. This goes back to the double bind. If I'm mad at him, no matter what, then no matter what he does, it doesn't matter and nothing gets better. And that's my piece. I just didn't say anything. And maybe he took a two minute rinse off. I don't know, but he was downstairs all dressed really quickly. So I don't think he took a shower. And he got Jack to childcare on time, but not, not on time. They didn't leave until 8.45. That's 45 minutes late. So if he had just gotten up even at 6.30 and jumped right in the shower, they would have been out of here on time. I'm just angry now, just pissy, pissy, pissy. And that's when I recorded the podcast episode. So what I did beforehand was I tried to give myself some framework around anger. Here's what I found. So I went to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the five stages of grief. And anger is the number two stage, not necessarily in that order, but it's one of the five. In this stage, people question why something occurred and express outward anger. So I don't ask about dead Molly anymore. I have a million things that have happened to me that I still say, why, why, why? 
It could be my job loss. It could be Gene Connolly. It could be Chris Rath. It could be Roy and Amy. It could be my child abuse. It could be my brain tumors. You know, I have a million things that are stressful to me that I could say, why, why, why? This stage can be particularly difficult when the loss is unpredictable or blindsided the person. Anger is manifested as a control-seeking behavior and allows us to seek temporary control of our environment by asserting aggression to avoid feelings of helplessness. That stuck with me. Anger is manifested as a control-seeking behavior, yes, and allows us to seek temporary control of our environment by asserting aggression to avoid feelings of helplessness. So I would see that as me lashing out at Kenny when I'm in the middle of a messy house and a crying child and I'm not getting anything done. I saw that last night at the board meeting when I was a bit snarky and, you know, I refused to vote for president. I just abstained. I just was angry. And that's how I, I guess I control whatever I think I'm controlling. And I felt helpless. I feel helpless at those times. Like it doesn't matter what I do. So I feel like I'm a victim of my own double bind. So I looked this up before I talked this morning. Here are some emotions you feel when you're angry. Impatient, irritable, frustrated, full of rage, feeling out of control, pessimistic, cynical, and resentful. So resentment is the one that I, through Taylor and Carolina, I really focused on because it's that phase of anger where you're just pissed off that these things happened and you resent the fact that this is your life. Anger is that spur of the moment, screw you. Whereas resentment is, yep, great. Another crappy day for me, of course, you know, like that kind of feeling. I don't want to feel this way. And, and I know that in some ways it's my go-to, it's my safety mechanism. As an eight-year-old child, when I was out of control in a place I was supposed to be safe, I had to figure out ways to survive. And anger actually wasn't something I was allowed to feel as a child. Whenever I got angry, I got in trouble. I think sometimes my anger now is a side effect or a trigger from being told to be quiet and not be mad and not be loud growing up. So some of the language around anger, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? I am to blame for this. It's all my fault or stupid Kenny again, or because of Roy or there goes Gracie or whatever, you know, there goes the school board, whatever, whatever I'm mad at, I can blame the anger. How could this happen? How could the universe let this happen? How could God let this happen? No one understands. And then there was, they deserve pay and I want revenge. None of those thoughts come to mind. I am not a vengeful person. I, I am a lot of things. And sometimes I think a little revenge giving would make me feel better, except I know that it wouldn't. But I do feel that people walk all over me because they know I'm not going to retaliate because it's not my nature to retaliate. All of those sayings, all of these thoughts go through my head all the time. This isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? You know, why me? No one gets me. No one understands. I, I, I say those words hundreds of times a day. Still, even though I'm trying not to be angry. So behaviors when you're angry. So this is, this is interesting. Being short-tempered and emotionally unstable. That would be like in a fit of anger. The last time I was really super angry like that. Well, the other last night when I was yelling at Jack at one in the morning, I lost it. I was just so angry. I just screamed. Then I had to get up and walk around because I didn't want to sit in the, in the bed in a dark room and yell at little Jack. He was fine. He was all, he, you know, you better now, mommy. I think he's used to it, which is a sad statement. Being verbally or physically aggressive. So I'm not physically aggressive. I don't hit. I don't use physical aggression. I'm physically aggressive in my working out. So maybe I, I turn that inward. I can be aggressive athletically, but not hitting somebody or being in their space. Verbally, I, I've been told that I can be hard to listen to, that I can be a little too honest, that I can be intimidating. And I don't mean to be. Somebody once said that I always seemed mad. 
Look at that. I always seemed mad, <laughs> even when I never thought I was mad. So maybe I am. Engaging in self-harm. So addiction for me is self-harm, but that's a separate classification. I've never been a cutter. I've never pulled my hair. I've never, I've never been a self-harmer. The only way I potentially harmed myself would be working out intensely hard. I was never anorexic or bulimic. I never, I never ever took it out on my body like that. And I think that's because I was chronically ill as a child. So I had to take care of myself. Like, yeah, my body already hurt enough. I didn't need to punish it. And then finally, using substances such as nicotine, alcohol, and drugs. So alcohol has been my go-to primarily my whole life. So this is all from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the five stages of grief. Then there's some strategies that she shares. And the strategies are allowing ourselves to feel the loss. Well, no, no shit. I, that's the biggest advice I give, especially when people are sad. If you need to be sad, sad. If you need to be mad, mad. Feel it. I do feel it. It doesn't make it go away. Recognize underlying feelings. So this resonates with me a bit more. Feelings of sadness and being overwhelmed, overwhelmed can manifest as anger. And I think that's me. And that perpetuates the resentment. And the wouldn't you know it would rain on my birthday, you know, my Eeyore connection. And don't ignore them. Don't ignore the feelings. And sometimes I hold on anger because I'd rather be mad at everybody than have to sit there and try to make it work. And that's a huge omission right now for me right now. Sometimes it's easier just to be pissed off. It can be an excuse for things. Find healthy ways to express emotions. So of course, everything listed here is all this fluffy, floozy, namaste, yoga, meditation. I'm doing a daily, a daily visualization. I found one, Carolina gave one to me. It's like 10 minutes. And so when I walk my mile, I'm walking a mile every day. I listen to it. So I'm listening to a visualization. So fine. I can't sit and listen because I want to punch the guy in the face. It's all like your perfect day in your perfect house. I don't know. For me, what helps me feel better is physical movement, like hard physical movement. So I walk really fast. So walking is helpful. Running was always helpful for me. Another one is just, you know, a hard Metcon, a hard CrossFit workout. So yesterday I did 500 meters on the rower and then 10 devil's press, which is a burpee with dumbbells. I did that for 30 minutes. So that was a lot. I think I got through six rounds. So that was 3000 meters and 60 burpees with 30 pounds of weight. So that made me feel better. I have, I have a release from that. It's like my serotonin release. I think it's the same release people get from a cut or from a vomit or pulling your hair out. There's all these different ways the hormones in your bodies work. Explore different perspectives. I spoke a lot about this one in the first recording of this episode. I need to step into Kenny's life for a minute. I need to step into Gracie's shoes. I need to be Jack. I need to be each board member and I need to be the public. Like I need to step out of myself and turn around and look at other ways. And that's, I think right now, and after my conversations with Taylor and Carolina, that also resonated. The resentment piece and not being hard on myself, I'm very all or nothing. And then finally, work on changing our cycle. So this brings me back to when I lost Molly, right after Molly died and I was in therapy with Elizabeth and I kept driving to Runlet or I'd get in the car and I'd automatically drive to someplace I used to bring Molly. And it was horrifying. It, it, was, it was awful, 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 awful. And so- I would start driving a different way. It's just neuropathways in the brain, right? The new big thing that all life coaches are doing now is hypnosis, which makes me a little worried because you can bring up a lot of psychological issues with hypnosis. I had to just go a different way and just re reset my neuropathways, right? So this here is the same thing. Work on changing our cycle, a cycle of thoughts and outcomes. Thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to behaviors, behaviors circle back to thoughts. Intercept one thing. So for me, I think I need to intercept the thought. I'm not quite sure how to do that or intercept the behavior. That might be easier for me. I think I can 
if I have a, an angry thought, instead of yelling at somebody, you know, do 10 sit-ups or something. I mean, really something silly that just upsets the narrative. I recorded the podcast. I did the little summary, which I'll save until the end of this one. I went downstairs and I thought, oh, I probably can't play that because I wasn't very nice to some of the board members. I didn't name them, but I was much more specific. I was super not nice to some of the people in my life. So here's what I went through. And then here's what I did. So in really looking at my anger personally, after going through all of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's information on anger and behaviors and all this, I thought to myself, what angers am I holding on to? What are they connected to? So it got me rethinking the holiday season where you have to run into family. So I have to see my mother. So that's a huge trigger for me right now, my mom and my dad, around everything that happened to me as a child, because it was their job to protect me and they didn't. So I get it. I'm 60. It's been a long time. Let it go already. And there's a ton of it that I have let go. But I have a very hard time watching this sort of fake normal day-to-day life and playing the part. I'm also like the fixer in my family. If there's a holiday to be had or something, if I don't set it up, it doesn't happen. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm good at organizing these things, but sometimes it's a lot of pressure. So my mother and seeing my mom can trigger lots of recurring memories and behaviors. She has done wonderful things in her life and worked very hard on herself. But some of the tapes that she replays over and over again, I don't want to be pulled into anymore. And so I have to assert boundaries and that causes disagreements and arguments. And so I had a lot of mom time, Christmas morning, New Year's day. And that's fine. I really love being with my mom for the most part, but when the conversations start to get into family behaviors or dynamics or what's going, I just, I just get upset. So that was a trigger. And she's a reminder of what happened to me. Then we went for like opening Christmas presents at one of Kenny's kids house. And when I was pregnant with Jack, his adult children had a really hard time with it. And it was sort of steered by one of his children. And that child got everyone else to be mad and told a ton of people without my permission. And it was horrible. And we didn't speak for months and months. She and I didn't even really speak for a year. And things are better now. She and Kenny had a wonderful conversation. And I don't know, I guess he apologized to her for me being pregnant. I don't know. We've never discussed it and she won't discuss it. It it isn't something that she, you know, I feels that she needs to, I think. I think she just wants everything to be okay. And I appreciate that. And she's been wonderful and kind. And she gets great presents for Jack and his other kids get presents for Jack. Like everything, everything is okay. But it's still, I'm on pins and needles all the time because quite honestly, I don't know what the next thing I do that one of them doesn't like will then create the next world war and nobody will speak and everybody will be angry and and it will all be somehow my fault. This is what will happen. I see it and I just want to step out of it, but I can't step out of it because Jack deserves to know his family, right? Those are his siblings as well as Gracie's. And so we go, we have a wonderful time. I'm, I'm not upset with anything that's going on now, but it's not easy or comfortable for me. And it brings back every single event that has transpired. So it's just a reminder. And then I'm on the school board, spending time with all these people who have nothing to do with what happened to me, but we have a group right now that is reminiscent of the school board that existed when I lost my job. And so it's incredibly difficult, incredibly incredibly difficult for me sometimes to be comfortable in that room because it just brings back all sorts of emotions and memories of my job loss. I'd rather be a full-time teacher in the district right now. That's what I would truly like to be twice as much as school board president. Those things make me angry. I'm still angry about it. I'm still angry about Roy and Amy and 
I guess what I'm most angry about is the things that they say to people because we have common people in our lives. And I'm quite sure they say these things on purpose so that I'll hear, I'll hear them. Say what you want so long as it's true. But the things that are said about me are not true. This is a huge trigger for me. People who know me understand that a lot of what's said could not be true. But I still have to somehow defend it or explain it or somehow justify why they would say it. You know, it's, it's difficult. Uh, it hurts me. I still have a lot of anger around that. You know, that's just hard for me. I don't have any super close triggers to that. Thank God. And as much time as I spend on the North Shore, I have a whole separate life there. You know, Amesbury's mine, so to speak. But I'm still, I still have anger about it. The whole bow situation. You know, I have, I have a handful of people that were huge pieces of why I was okay after Molly died. One family in particular that doesn't speak to me at all. And I ran into the children once and was so excited to see them. And they got this look of terror on their face. Like, oh no. When they're like, hi. So, you know, they've been told not to say hi, or they've overheard horrible things that given the nature of the people involved are not true. And why ghost somebody? Be a grown up. Say, hey, this is what I heard. This is how I feel. And then hear what I have to say. And then if you don't want to talk to me, fine. But these people ghost Gracie as well. And that's connected to CrossFit. I am CrossFit Ironborn mostly. So that makes me angry. And then I have unresolved issues around all the money I gave to CrossFit Ironborn and then Amoskeg, the conquered part, and feeling really unsupported and unrespected there. So I have this sort of pervasive thread where I'm constantly defending myself, like feeling like people are saying bad things about me and I have to defend myself. Probably all of this is in my head. I mean, some of it isn't, but, but it's probably much worse in my head than it actually is. But I walk around with this all the time. This whole, you know, do they like me? Do they not like me? One of the most common things I've said when people buy my book is, I hope you still like me when you read it, because I'm honest in it. I talk about my struggles with Kenny. I talk about Roy. I talk about it all. I don't want people to dislike me, but I can't control who likes me, right? So I have to let that go. So I really am just surrounded by reminders of all that I've lost. I'm still angry. So two things have to happen. I have to say, how can I rectify the anger? What can I say or do? Or what boundary can I insert? Or what podcast episode can I record so that I can let go of the anger? That's part of it. But the other part was being able to talk about it, stepping out of the anger. So I finished recording the podcast. I stormed downstairs. I'm eating oatmeal in my messy, messy house. And Taylor calls. And so we chat on the phone. We talk about the kitchen. But we have a long, long talk about her journey this past year, opening a florist shop and doing all these wonderful things with the shop and then deciding it you know, really wasn't lucrative and, and her situation and the, you know, all of that wasn't the best and it's time to close. That was a wonderful conversation, right? But I talked about how I'm stuck being mad, how mad I am and that I just recorded a podcast episode on mad. She said to me, oh, sweetheart, you are so close to being done with mad. You're almost there. Now she's known me since 2019. And so she, she's heard it all. She knew that I was pregnant with Jack early, early on. She knows all about my struggles with Roy. She, she knows everything. She knows all the pieces of my life. And she said, you're almost done. You're almost done, sweetie. You're almost done. So I hung up and I felt somewhat better. Then I met Carolina and I said, why am I still mad? Aren't we, are we dealing with mad? So we talked about a number of things. But one of the things that we talked about is something that's called what is a healing crisis? We talked about a healing crisis. So first we talked about anger versus resentment. And I realized that really I'm in resentment. Then we talked about self-hatred and that my go-to is to find ways to remind myself I suck. 
And that so many of so much of the last two days was me falling into my own bad habits. And then the third thing was a healing crisis. So when you really start to make progress, which I've been doing, because then we looked at where I was a year ago to where I am now. A healing crisis is when you get super, super sick right before you get better. So let me give a good example. When I was teaching at a private school for kids with behavior issues, we had this student, Brian, sorry, Brian, I'm calling you out. And he, he had had a really rough time in his prior school. He strung together like three months of amazing. His grades went up. He was in school every day. So we had this meeting and we just praised him. Brian, you're doing great. Oh my gosh. Like two days later, he stopped coming regularly. He got in trouble with the law. He started using alcohol. Like he went, he fell, fell off the rails. That's a healing crisis. So two things. Sometimes, like with a physical illness, you get super sick right before you get better. It's like you have one last rush of illness and then you heal and get better. Or the medicine, like when you get sick, you have a terrible fever. You have the fever to heal your body. That's what the fever does. But the fever makes you feel like crap. So the healing is as painful as the sickness. It's like that. Carolina said that we've done all this work and that I'm way less angry and way better about the anger than I have been that I've made huge gains and strides. And what happens when you set a goal for yourself, rather than set the goal and try really hard and fail, you set yourself up to fail before you even start. So the pressure's off. Okay, I can stay mad because who wouldn't want to stay mad? Complementary and alternative medicine is a diverse field. So that's like massage therapy, yoga, meditation, chiropractic, all those kinds of things. So oftentimes you can use these methods of therapy to get better, homeopathy and such, and you get sicker first, and then you purge the sickness and get better. That's the nature, that's the framework in this article. But basically, a healing crisis is a temporary worsening of symptoms after beginning a treatment. In a healing crisis, symptoms briefly worsen before beginning to improve. This is different than an adverse reaction to medication. What causes a healing crisis to occur? In your body, it's caused by elimination of toxins or waste product. So that's not me right now. What's causing my healing crisis is more, I've had more and more time to not be mad. So as I let go of the anger, anger is a defense mechanism, right? It's a defense mechanism for a loss of control. So we started the episode with that. I'm letting go of a defense mechanism. Oh my God, I haven't been mad in three days. Anger is what keeps me safe. I better get mad, right? So you start to have all these angry symptoms again because you're not being mad enough. I guess that's the best way for me to describe it. So I had this long, long conversation with Carolina. We talked about all my different angers. I went into each area of why I was mad, each of the things I just talked about. She brought up the healing crisis and she said, let yourself be in this healing crisis, pay attention to it, step out of it, turn around and watch yourself be mad. So here I am re-recording the episode. I, when I finished with Carolina, I quickly listened to the episode and realized I couldn't, I, I think I won't delete it. I think I'll save it just to listen to again, maybe after this one comes out. But I guess what I want you to know is that whatever you're fixing or working on, sometimes right before you really nailed it, and you've, and you've achieved it and you've fixed it, you're going to have like a relapse. It's going to get bad again for a bit. And then suddenly you're better. That, that's what I think. I know a lot of people that are thinking of becoming sober. Kenny and I have done this bunch where oh, we're going to stop drinking on January 1st. So for like 10 days, we drink like fish. We didn't do it this year, thank God. But that's, that's sort of an example of a healing crisis where whatever it is that's bothering you becomes worse right before it gets better. Here I am on January 3rd, not wanting to be mad, but also mad because one of my biggest goals for this new year was to do something related to the Molly B Foundation every day. And while I have done a ton of stuff, way more in the last three days than I've done the last two weeks, I haven't yet done one thing for the Molly B Foundation. So that's glaring at me in my face. But mostly 
I get mad at myself. I turn the anger inward. So I, I did the 75 hard last summer. This is the last piece of my anger. And I liked it. And I got a lot out of it. The hardest part for me wasn't maintaining it and finishing it. It was realizing that a lot of the behaviors did not make my day better. So there's 75 hard phase two and there's the year hard and there's all these things. So I thought, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. So I've started it up and I realized that I don't need to drink a gallon of water to, to be well hydrated. I don't need to work out once a day outside to show that I'm dedicated. Like I'm going out for a walk every day. I can go outside every day. doesn't have to be a 45 minute workout out there. Like, like to the hardcore 75 hard people, this would be a cop out. But what I want to do is barb hard. I want to come up with the things that I really want to do, the things that will make me feel better, the things that will, that will add positivity to my life. And standing five minutes in a cold shower, no, that's not what I need right now. <laughs> I always finish my showers cold, but I'm not going to stand there for five minutes. It's a waste of water, right? But this is one of the things on the phase two of 75 hard, drinking a gallon of water. It's too much water. I'm drinking like 80 ounces of water right now. It's perfect. My urine is clear. I only get up once in the night to pee instead of three times. I feel good. But I was angry at myself because the first two days of this year, all I've worried about is the 75 hard. I haven't worried about the Molly B Foundation. I should have been sitting there eating cookies and worrying about them doing the Molly B Foundation. Then I would be doing what I say I want to do. So I have to work out that block. And that, you know, and, and I think that's a big piece of dealing with the anger that all these external things are triggers to allow me to get angry, to give myself an excuse for not succeeding, right? I can blame it on somebody. So here's the summary. Here's the anger summary. While grieving a loss, so for me, my losses are my innocence as a child, my 30-year teaching career, my child, two children, my brain tumor scenario, my status on the school board, everything that Roy promised, you know, my solid relationship with Kenny. I have had a lot of loss. While grieving a loss, particularly if it was an unexpected one, we might find ourselves feeling extremely angry. Anger is a defense mechanism that helps us feel in control and avoid our helplessness and grief. So that's the piece for me. It's a defense mechanism. It makes you feel safe because you feel like you're controlling something. However, it's important to become aware of our feelings and their underlying causes to cope with anger. So become aware of your feelings and their causes so that you can cope with the anger. Then come closer to accepting the loss. So I've accepted that Molly's dead. She's not coming back. And I know enough about the afterlife and enough about the soul and all that, that I get it. But there are still some things in my life I haven't accepted. I haven't accepted the whole Bo situation because I just find it's crap and it's not right. I don't like the fact that I have people in my life that don't talk to me because I don't know why, because they believe some horrible thing they heard. Well, if it's that horrible that you can't talk to me, you should come ask me about it. You know, so that's hard for me. And so every aspect of my life has a piece of it that's uncomfortable. So my standard thing to do in my life would be to have all new things, find a new CrossFit gym. So I have some new ones, but they're not new. They've been in my life, you know, two or three years now. Move away, quit the school board, you know, just find all new things where I don't have any negativity there yet. Okay, but whatever it is I bring, I'm going to bring to wherever I go. By the time you hear this, I'll be two weeks into my rethunk, Barb Hard, Barb Strong, 2024. But I really, I really feel that today was a very solid day around coping with anger and me learning to not be angry, to let go of the anger or to confront the anger situation by situation. So who knows, but that's it. That was my record a pod, have crappy two days, record a podcast, all mad, 
talk to some people, go for a walk, re-record the podcast. <laughs> Yay. So be good to yourself. And I guess for me, the way I can be good to myself is to stop expecting so much. Like just learn to accept what I can. Be good to someone else. So that's also a really important thing to do. And as always, you all have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories as I love connecting with my listeners. If you would like to get to know Molly, head over to mollybfoundation.org to see what she is all about. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.